All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show. Today we're going to talk about six lessons learned from a Kickstarter campaign prep. So by the time uh, you listen to this, uh, my campaign, The Black Girl Code, will be live on Kickstarter. So go ahead, check it out, uh, blackgirlco.com. It'll redirect you to the Kickstarter page. So today we'll talk about some six things I learned uh, from the campaign prep in the past five, six months. Uh, it's been a little bit stressful, especially this past week, uh, especially two days before launch. Uh, there's actually some big changes I might need to make. So we'll talk about a little bit about that today. But first, uh, you know, I haven't talked to Travis in two weeks, so we'll do some quick updates. So what are you up to, man? I just went to New Media Expo last week. It was really cool. I uh, had a lot of fun meeting a lot of different people from podcasting, the YouTube world, a couple different internet marketers, but I learned some cool things as well. So it was about uh, four days and I'll, I'll give one of the quick tips uh, that I think could be really valuable to e-commerce. So just to let everyone know, New Media Expo focuses on podcasters and YouTubers. It's not really about e-commerce. But one of the things that I thought of would be a good carryover is Instagram video is something that no one's really using. And it's something that could be potentially really powerful. And they showed us a clip of, quote unquote, the fastest, what was it called? The fastest uh, food you know where they make food, like one of the shows where they make food, like cooking show. That's what it was, the fastest cooking show. And it was a 15 second cooking show. And Instagram videos can only be 15 seconds. So in the video, they just show like bread, mayo, this, and then whatever. And then I guess you can go to the website to watch the full video. And I started thinking I could do the same thing with my kind of how do you DIY your dance costume videos, I could show like my mom sitting there like, all right, now we're going to add rhinestones and then, you know, put in some cool special effects or whatever. But it's a good way to increase the virality of your content, I think. All right. So for me, uh, I was in Singapore last week. Uh, shout out to Angela, uh, Leighton and Ahmed for meeting up. Uh, we just got some wine and talked about e-commerce a little bit uh, last Sunday night in Singapore while I was doing my visa run. And uh, yeah, so I'm back here in Vietnam, uh, ready to launch the campaign and uh, you know, kind of having some nervous breakdowns, but hey, what can we do? I gotta launch. All right, so let's get into today's episode. So the first lesson, pho photography and media assets. So the first one, I picked this one because um, before I got into e-commerce, I always thought product photos were kind of easy to do. Like you look at like a brand, like in a magazine, like in GQ, or whatever, and it looks so awesome. You think, oh yeah, I could just make my product look that good. But actually, no, there's actually a whole huge skill set that goes in that. And it's actually pretty fucking complicated because A, uh, models are models for a reason. I realized that because if you get your friends to do photos, and it's not like your friends you know, can't look as good as a model. It's just that there's certain poses that a model knows and the how to look in front of the camera uh, that kind of make them you know, a model. And I think most people don't realize that because unless you do photography, the way you s set up your shot, get someone to pose like unless you're a good director yourself or you know what you want it's really hard to kind of expect it to just come together just because you have a nice camera doesn't mean you'll get a nice shot essentially did you hire a model for the pictures no i use some friends that have done some like freelance modeling before but they're not like professional uh by far it was just people that have done some photo shoots here and there casually too so uh, i think part of it that kind of helped me was that i had saved the folder on my Dropbox uh, throughout the past, you know, two or three months for shots that I like. Like if I go to like some e-commerce site and I like this photo, I'll just save it into my folder, I'll screenshot it. And then basically I'll have an inspiration folder where when I need a shot list, I can basically just copy what they're doing or at least get kind of inspiration. And did you take the pictures or did you hire a photographer? Yeah, so I started with a photographer first and then it was kind of just like a friend helping out, but I realized what I really wanted, they weren't able to pull off. So one thing you'll realize is that with product photography, 
there's so when you when you think photography it's similar with the camera but there's actually different skill sets within that like you say like baby photography wedding photography sports photography uh you know product photography there's different you know skill sets within this realm too so if you think someone like sports photography you know there's a lot of action shots someone you know like a basketball nba guy he's doing a slam dunk well how do you catch the guy in the air that's a much different skill set than say taking a picture of a macbook you know in a cafe where something's a little more kind of artistic things like that and then you also have like landscape photography where you're taking a sunset you know how do you get all the light lighting right and get these cool reflections off the water so i think product photography one thing i realized is that all right if you're going to look for a photographer find someone with relevant experience too so for me i had some friends that helped out but in the end you know the shots weren't really what i wanted and one thing you realize is that uh, the hit rate for photography is probably around like 50 to 1 from what i've heard from some friends like 61 51 is good which means that for every 60 shots you take usually one will be like usable too and that's kind of what i found too uh, so basically on my campaign page i have about 20 photos uh, so i took easily like 1500 if not 2000 photos just to get these 20 uh, that are usable so wait uh, you had a friend you had some friends take some photos uh, but the actual ones you ended up using did you take them or how'd that happen so out of all my photos i have about 20 photos the ones used by friends were maybe like two or three photos and the rest I took on myself. And just because if I was asked a friend to take, you know, a thousand, two thousand photos, it would take like two or three days of their time and, you know, I didn't want to make them go through that trouble too. And it also goes to the next thing where uh, you should plan your shots because if you just expect to kind of randomly take a bunch of photos, you have a lot of experimentation to do. So for example, if you want, one of the pictures uh, I took was with like the MacBook lying down in the sunlight with kind of the case in the front and what happens is i took probably like 20 shots of that because i was moving the angles of the macbook like you move it like half a degree one degree here a little you know angle here this stuff takes a lot of experimentation too and i think uh, if you go and just think you're gonna just take you know 10 shots it'll be fine no you're gonna need to take like you know 100 just to get like two or three that are usable yeah that's interesting so how would you recommend planning your shots then just like writing it out on a piece of paper or yeah i would say have an inspiration folder uh like i said earlier just have a dropbox folder where you have shots that you like and then when you're going to shoot just kind of take a piece of paper you know draw like a rectangle and then kind of sketch it out on um the sheet because then you can tell your model or your friend like hey this is kind of what i want uh, look at this picture you know i want the sun to come in from this side your arm should be you know this straight this crooked kind of the setting is like in a cafe be relaxed things like that too it makes it easier for everyone if you know what you're actually shooting to mm, makes sense all right so number two uh video so video is kind of the same thing too so instead of the 50 to 1 ballpark rate it's probably more like 30 to 1 and it depends on how what how complicated your footage is too so a lot of the footage on my video, if you go to the page, is uh, slider shots. So a slider is something you put on the tripod, and then it gives this vertical left to right sliding effect for the camera. Basically, it just moves the camera left to right, and I think it adds a lot of dynamic kind of movement to the shot. And so this stuff is pretty vanilla because your subject isn't moving. Whereas if you're doing like a lot of dialogue with you know two people talking to each other or like a crowd, like that takes a lot more uh, investment in the resources too. So um, if you're just doing like a talking head video. You know, I'm sure you've done this before too, right? It's kind of weird to see yourself on the camera or on a podcast. So you're going to need to do at least, you know, a minimum five takes, if not more like 10 to get things right too. So for my video, uh, the product shots are quite easy because A, there's no sound. You know, there's just a song in the background. But for the one when I was talking uh, in the camera, I shot probably 20 minutes of video and the actual video is only like one minute uh, in terms of like me in front of the camera too. So uh, if you're doing video, 
um, certainly, you know, get ready to shoot a lot and have a lot of pauses, errors, things like that. And I found one thing that's helpful is if you're shooting video and you stutter and you want to stutter, just plow through it. Like don't pause the camera and then redo it. Just keep going, going and until you plow through it. And then you can always go back and delete the ones uh, that you don't need to. Yeah, that makes sense. Actually, I recently got one of those like a little infrared sensor thing that I can push the button and it starts and stops. I found that to be kind of helpful because I don't know, I kind of like the reset idea of like, all right, I'm going to I'm going to record myself. If I mess up, just push the button, do it again. And but I see what you're saying. Sometimes you can just edit out the parts that you messed up on. Yeah, and I got that, too, because if you're doing it yourself, you're not going to run all, all the time to the camera, press record and then run back because you're going to lose focus or whatever, too. So, I mean, those things are really cheap. They're only like eight dollars, too. Well, I think one of the best things I uh, bought recently, I actually I, t I took a bunch of photos uh, for my, my podcast, the other podcast. And without that, it would have been really hard because I would have had to ask a friend, hey, can you take all these photos for me? Um, by the way, I'm going to try out like a hundred different poses, you know, to see what works. But with the, with that button, it's just like I click it, change, click it, change until I find something I halfway like. All right. And just going on to video, um, one thing also to do is to plan your shots in the sense that uh, what they have in video is called a storyboard, where basically like photography, you have a single frame, but for video, you have maybe like, you know, 10 to 15 frames as the video progresses. So if you're just talking in front of a camera, it's really easy to do you stand in the middle, on the left, or the right. But if you're having like a lot of action where you're doing talking, a lot of product videos, you should at least have an idea of what you're gonna shoot. Because if you're just shooting random video, uh, you never know if it's gonna be usable too. And if, if it's the 30 to one usable ratio, you're gonna be shooting a lot of stuff, shotgun approach, it's gonna waste a lot of time uh, and resources too. So like I said earlier, uh, one thing to do is to save an inspiration folder. Uh, so basically bookmark product videos that you like and then you can always just kind of take inspiration from them and kind of copy what they're doing. Quick question for you. It's kind of backtracking a little bit, but you said you had some friends doing the modeling. Did you pay them or did you just kind of like buy them lunch or how do you deal with that? So if you look at like social media now, a lot of people don't have good photos for like their Facebook page or LinkedIn. So I was just saying, hey, you know, can you pose for a few shots for me and then I'll do a few headshots for you for like your social media profiles and you can have these for like a resume or whatever press kit you want to. So basically, it's like the reciprocity thing and like spotlight marketing. What can you give someone first? So basically I was saying, hey, I'll just do a couple shots for you. I'll do like a video for you if you want it. And then you just help me pose. So it was mutual trade. Type okay. of thing. And how long did the model actually end up? Cause you said you had to take like 1500 photos. So was the model there for like, yeah. So, so the, I used two guys and a girl. Uh, each one we spent about five hours each maybe. And the thing that also have them do is bring like two or three outfits because if you have the same outfit in different locations, people can see that they're wearing the same shirt, right? So the quickest way to do it is to have like two pairs of pants, uh, three shirts, and then they can just alternate between this combo as you go to different places too. And so when you plan your shot list, it also helps to have a location that's close by. So you, you've been to Vietnam here. So one, uh, you've been to my house, we did one at the balcony and then one at the Starbucks at that roundabout. And then the other one kind of near at the street, uh, at the street corner. And then one was downstairs at the Starbucks, one was outside. So there was like kind of four different locations within like a, you know, hundred meter vicinity of my house here. So it was really, we were able to really quickly. Oh, okay, cool. So if you got to like go to like, you know, go to a dance studio and you got to go outside somewhere, like you got to like a lot of travel involved, then it becomes much more complicated too. So it goes back to like planning your shots and figuring out where exactly you need to be. So that when you get there, you just kind of bang it out and then um, you kind of do it from there. And the other thing is too, you want to use natural daylight for both video and pictures. Uh, it really 
natural light from the sun looks better than anything else I realize even like in a studio like I guess you can Photoshop it a little bit I'm not that good at it but just natural light looks much better and usually I found uh, the best to be around like either 7 a.m. to 10 a.m. or like 3.30 to like 6 p.m. in the afternoon and after that it gets too dark yeah all right so number three press and momentum so one thing I realized is that people that have these blogs uh, most of them want to see momentum first so it's kind of a catch-22 where if you didn't launch yet uh, they won't post for you or it'll be really hard for them to say hey can you post on this date when I launch because they have their own editorial calendar and as someone who's new to this it's kind of hard to do that if you don't have a relationship to in some ways so it uh, seems like no one wants to promote a campaign that has no momentum either too so I think the first week uh, seems to be up to you to kind of drum up some early support and then you can kind of snowball effect uh, from there still figuring this out um, you know we'll see in this week and the next two weeks I have some uh, guest posts that are going out and things like that so uh, how many guest posts do you have going out uh, six wow on like these different sites and so you wrote them uh, would you what topic just about like your product or about all kinds of different things yeah so it depends on what outlets so there's one on reddit uh, kind of like in the uh, subreddit entrepreneur and then there's a subreddit crowdfunding and then there's these two uh, finance blogs I used to write for. So this is a little different. I'm not talking about like business there. I'm talking more like, oh, here's what I'm doing since leaving the business, things like that. And then obviously uh, DC, you know, e-commerce field will probably have one in there too. Kind of just more like on like a behind the scenes side. They're like Tropical MBA, these blogs, they're not really the right target in the sense. Like, like it'd be cool to have the exposure, but I don't think all exposure is equal to. And, and to be honest, I think nomads are kind of cheap, so they're not really cool. What about getting on like some podcasts? Have you thought about like, I bet you the Tropical MBA, I bet you could get on that podcast. I think Dan would hook you up. Yeah, yeah. But the thing is, like I said, you got to have some momentum first to too. So I'll probably wait till like the first week, second week, and then uh, do that. So number four, uh, conversion. So this part is a little bit tricky because once you launch a campaign, you can't change your price. So if you price too high or too low, um, you're either leaving money on the table or you're pricing too many people out. And this is kind of something uh, that I've been kind of worried about because some people are saying, hey, you know, I'd pay, you know, 200 bucks for your seat. Whereas other people are saying, oh man, like, you know, 130 or whatever is you know, I'd too I'd give you much. a solid $10 at least. <laughs> at least. Yeah. Wow. That's it. At least. Huh? Uh, yeah. At least. Yeah. So this part, so this is a little stressful because if you price too low or price too high, like there's good and bad right so um you know by the time you hear this you'll go to the site you'll see what the final price is uh, but you'll have to go there to find out because uh, i'll leave it as an easter egg for you oh, so you're still in are you still in flux or do you know what it's going to be but just an easter egg i th yeah i think i know what it's going to be but i'm just going to keep it in. gotcha so, so i guess number five uh pricing on part two is that one thing is that the pricing on a crowdfunding site isn't always the right retail price and the crowdfunding is a little bit tricky because you're asking people to help you before you've made something. So there is some kind of discount you wanna give them for being an early supporter. But then how much do you give it versus retail? And there's a kind of a sweet spot to figure out. In some cases I've seen, uh, they actually charge more on Kickstarter than on retail. And that's because um, some of the products they're making have more R&D costs. So in the sense that, uh, say you're making a drone or whatever, and the initial first 100 units are going to be really expensive to make. But once you can put in an order of like 5,000, 
it suddenly becomes lower too. So there's also the thing where, you know, if your early backers are giving you money, you don't want to screw them either with a higher price too. So like I guess pricing is a really sensitive thing you got to figure out too. So uh, whether you want to charge, you know, give the people the right discount, but how do you make sure you know everything can still carry through uh, with the right margins and pricing too? I mean, obviously I don't know a lot about this, but my initial thought is Kickstarter price should be higher than retail for the reasons you said of uh, at first, you know, your first hundred units are more expensive. And because without a doubt, like if I were to do something, the first hundred units are going to be, let's say $25. But then once I get scale, it should be cheaper. Plus on top of that, to me, Kickstarter seems like it's kind of the, the initial adopter type people. It's the people that would go out and buy the, you know, the PlayStation or the, the iPhone 6S or whatever it is right when it comes out and they don't care what the price is. Um, but you know, there's people like me that I'm like, I'll wait, I'll wait six months a year when it's on discount. That being said, you're right. It is, it is kind of sucky to screw over your Kickstarter fans, but it seems like from a business standpoint, my personal opinion is price it higher on Kickstarter. It, it really depends on what you're making too. Like if you're making like, I don't know, like a bamboo case versus a drone. There's very different, very different economics between the R&D costs involved to develop something like this too. So, um, you know, I, I wouldn't say there's like a right rule either, uh, but it does take a lot of thoughts process to kind of figure out where the sweet spot is. And the, the tricky thing is too, is that once you set the price, you can't change it too. So either that you have to see if your campaign works or it doesn't, and then go again, or just kind of adjust from there, have different tiers and kind of, uh, go from there but i think one thing that's useful is that you can have early bird tiers and kind of like a late on time tiers to kind of get some different price sensitivity data too so you can have one that's like you know super early bird 100 units early bird another 100 units and then the regular price at you know whatever and then just have different price points to kind of yeah that's smart all right so number six would be manufacturing so this kind of goes into the last tangent in pricing i was talking to vincent uh, over at Bomber Barrel the other day, and he was saying uh, the right way to negotiate, which kind of I screwed upon, is to actually. So when you're starting out, uh, he was saying it's really hard to know what your order visibility is, right? If you're starting a Kickstarter, you don't know what you're going to get. Uh, how do you avoid paying a high price for a low quantity? So basically, he was saying the way to do this is that anytime you ask for a quote, especially in Asia, always ask for a thousand minimum, just because anything under a thousand, um, you know, it's kind of a joke for a supplier. So by Quoting 1,000, what you're doing is you're getting a real quote. A real quote in the sense that it's actually a manufacturing you know, average price, not like, because if you order 100, they're gonna charge you a lot for that unit and you won't know what the actual price is. So you ask them for 1,000 and then you get that kind of ballpark number. You say, we're sourcing for a company that has mass distribution in the US and Europe, which is kind of true, Kickstarter is kind of like that. But what we have to do first, we need to get uh, 50 to 100 units at a sample. So basically you're getting the quote at a thousand, but you're getting the samples made at that quote price uh, only for 10% of the order. So instead of going to the supplier saying, I want 100 units, you're saying, I want 1,000 units, but I only want 100 units first as a sample. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. So did you do that or did you not do that? No, I didn't do that. So which is kind of what I messed up on. So, so basically by doing that, then you can say, hey, uh, our US and UK team, they need three to four weeks to you know do quality checks and approve the product. So, um, you know, once you can, what we want to do is you want to get these hundred units at the price of a thousand. And if we approve it, we'll move forward with the rest of the 900 basically. And they call this contingent upon first order uh, essentially. So basically this also gives you an out too, where if you can only move a hundred units on a campaign or whatever, and you don't have any more, you could just say, Hey, it didn't pass our quality control checks and, um, you know, see ya. 
how many units do you plan on selling? Like what's your, your goal? Uh, so my goal will be 20,000 and that's around probably 150 to 200 units ballpark range. So 150 to 250. But the thing is you don't know until you launch too. That's the tricky thing with the crowdfunding campaign too. So he was saying this way basically gives you an out essentially when you get 100 units at a quote sample, even though it's actually just a small MOQ. And also it forces the supplier to show their hand first rather than you saying I can't order as much. I don't know if that makes sense. So basically um, you're forcing them to show their hand with a thousand unit quote. Then you know you know what you can play with uh, from there too instead of starting high and making them uh, go low. So the way I did it was that I thought all right, I would just go with a low quantity and then if I have the actual orders then I would go back and leverage. But it turns out it's actually the other way around uh, to have a better effect. So, so are you going to get a new supplier or are you, what are you going to do? I have the sample pretty much good to go. So it's not that hard to find a new supplier from here. It's just a matter of, you know, giving, maybe even mailing the sample to them and being like, hey, this is what I want. Just, you know, copy this thing. And then, you know, they're really good at copying stuff in China, right? So um, basically take things from there. So, so I get one thing to also do is I'll probably just shop around in the next two weeks or so. Yeah, Cause the campaign is pretty much set, right? Like that's like the copy, like you saw the preview page, it's pretty much good to go. By the time you hear this, it's, it's probably live. And so uh, from there, it's just a matter of finding someone to actually get it at a lower price with the same quality, uh, which seems kind of easy to find. There's a lot of leather suppliers there in China. So I think the way I negotiated it starting out was just kind of wrong too. So I, I guess it's probably too late. My, my first thought was like, I wonder if you could kind of trick them into being like, hey, how much actually, like, oh, we, you know, we want to do a thousand and then like kind of put that on the table for a little while and then be like, you know what, actually we're just going to do the first hundred I guess then they'll, they'd want to give you that the price that they already quoted you. Yeah, so I did ask them for a thousand, but it is the weekend now when we're recording this, so I probably won't see until Monday. But you know, I've just in the meantime, I'm asking like you know ten other people for a thousand just to get a better idea of what it should be like. So, and uh, yeah, we'll see how that goes too. I mean, the good thing is that the sample's ready, and then um, you know you just got to price it at a point where it could still make sense. Um, at different suppliers too. So I think I think and I think I have a really good number. I want Wait a minute. Stuff, one so. question I'm really curious is your thunderclap. How's that doing? Uh, we have 166. So I, I haven't pushed it because I've been busy with the uh, photos and stuff. So I think I'm just gonna call it. You told me 200. <laughs> I think I'm just gonna call it at 166. I think. Oh, but I'm okay. gonna do a, I'm gonna do a second one though, on the last look of the camera. Second thunderclap. The second one's only gonna be for backers. Ah. Uh, so people that have pledged on the Kickstarter, I'm gonna ask them to join the second one for the last week. So this would be a completely different crowd because like I think the way to see it is like a snowball how do you keep pushing the snowball bigger and bigger so if you have people want someone because people always ask people to share the campaign on social media so you might as well get someone who's giving you money to be like hey thank you for your support by the way we're going to do another big push in the last week you know since you're supporting this campaign would you like to join us and you know Here's the link. So that's kind of it for this episode. Uh, six lessons learned uh, from a Kickstarter campaign prep. Probably a lot more uh, after we're live. So uh, by the time you hear this, uh, check it out. Uh, BlackTurtleCo.com. If it's not live yet, uh, you hear this on Sunday, it'll be there uh, Monday or Tuesday. Cool. Uh, Thanks, guys.